as we move into different environments, we can have old beliefs that start to apply less to who we're becoming. And I felt like that has happened with me in college. I felt I've been a different person every year while maintaining some type of recognizability. Welcome to Unlocking College Life, real talk about all things college. The best part of this podcast is that your voice is part of the show. Other students care what you have to say. So through your questions, your feedback, and your real talk, we all grow together. Let's dive in with your hosts, Joy and Alona. Welcome back to Unlocking College Life. Today, Alona and I are joined by Mel Selber, who is a student at the University of Michigan and was referred to us to talk about the topic of uh, safe risk-taking. And so, Mel, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, and then we can sort of dive into the conversation. Of course. Thank you for having me. I'm Mel. I am graduating in about a week at this point, and I'm graduating with a psychology major. And this year of my college career has been really transformative, and I feel like I have a lot to talk about. Welcome, by the way. We're so excited to have you and congratulations on graduating so, so close. What we know about you is sort of along the lines of safe risk-taking and sort of the progression you took coming to college that all developed. So I think that would be great for you to start with. Yes, of course. For background, I can go all the way back to elementary school and I would describe myself as really shy. And I remember specifically that teachers would ask a question and I was pretty smart in my grade, so I would know the answer, but that wasn't my roadblock. The roadblock was sharing the answer, and it felt almost unsafe for me to put myself out there with the risk of being wrong, even though most of the time I was right. So what I would do when I was in elementary school was I would mouth the words of the answer to my teacher. That's how shy I was. And my teacher, every single year, people could probably relate to this, would say, great student could participate more. And that was my story for a really long time. And since I always got those messages about myself, I would describe myself as a really shy person for a lot of my life. Then come college, you get this blank slate and you could be whoever you want. And you kind of have this weird fork in the road where it's like you have these ideas of yourself from your previous life almost. And everybody else around you is just trying to figure out who you are and you have an opportunity at that point. I remember my sophomore year, one of my sorority sisters, she said something like, you're so confident. And I was shook. I was like, me? (laughs) And I said, I'm really shy. And she said, you're not shy at all. And it was kind of that moment for me where I had realized that without me even knowing it, I had grown out from the old labels that I had placed on myself. Well, and you almost like just in you saying that it almost sounds like that was a piece of your identity that you had just sort of owned and just thought it was like almost a permanent thing. And it didn't and it took someone reflecting the opposite back to you to have you actually go, oh, yeah, that doesn't always have to be me. And not to say that even being shy isn't also positive in so many ways, too. I think that what's interesting about this, though, is also the fact that we often get students who that is sort of their internal belief, but they don't necessarily always also project it out, right? So there can be also disconnect. I'm not sure that that was necessarily your story, but I think it's worth mentioning as well. Right. I think that's a really good point. In Janet's class, we discussed imposter syndrome. 
And I think that really ties in because everybody in the room could be describing themselves as shy, but then giving a presentation to the room that would show that they aren't really that shy or that scared of speaking in public or something like that. So it's interesting how as we get older and as we move into different environments, we can have old beliefs that start to apply less to who we're becoming. And I felt like that has happened with me in college. I felt like I've been a different person every year while maintaining some type of recognizability. Well, and it's also interesting that you are in Greek life. And in Greek life, there's a lot of social life. And I think even of recruitment, either gotta fake it or somehow you have to make it. So how was that for you? Yeah, Greek life was very, I would say, transformative in my college career, too. I think that something essential about Greek life, in my opinion, is some idea of hierarchy. With that, there's also an opportunity to be almost enlightened and freed from the hierarchy, which happens to a lot of people as they get older in their college career, is that they realize that they were very much glued to names and, yeah, certain names in the beginning of their college career. And then as they get older, and even if they go through it, they realize, oh, this is more empty than I thought it was, which also reminds me kind of some Buddhist ideas that I had learned in my college career as well. So you did come in, I think what Alona was sort of getting at too, was that feeling like a shy or more reserved person doesn't really lend itself to sorority recruitment. And so I guess, can you like walk us back to like making that decision even? And, and how was that? to sort of put yourself out out there in this almost like performative way. Like, I don't want to make assumptions about that time, but I'm curious how that was part of this. Like, it sounds like that was like a risk. Yeah, that was a risk. If I'm remembering back to my freshman year when I was, when I was trying to rush sororities, I remember that I had planned out everything I was going to say. I had planned out, tried to prepare whatever question somebody would ask me and It made me feel safe, but I wasn't really myself. I was almost presenting to these people who were trying to get to know me. So in hindsight, and the advice that I give anyone who is rushing is really, no, really be yourself because you could say, oh, I'm myself, but I'm also going off a bulleted list in my head, but your personality doesn't get to come through those things. So that was my way of preparing and being scared of saying the quote wrong thing was kind of over-preparing. And then I ended up in a Jewish sorority, and I am Jewish too, but I've had a lot of identity experiences with that. I've had people ask, oh, you're in this sorority, but you're not Jewish, making an assumption based on um, half Filipino. So people have made that assumption for me, causing me to kind of question if I'm in the right place. And I also had an experience at my first date party at the pregame with my date who I was set up with. His first question to me was, where are you from? To a lot of people, where are you from just means their hometown. And so I said, I'm from Westchester. And he said, no, where are you from? So I thought he meant be more specific. And I said, oh, I'm from Scarsdale in Westchester. And then he kept going and he kept saying, no, like, where are you from? And I was asking, what is the question you're trying to ask me? And he said, why are you Asian? And I said, oh, my mom's parents came from the Philippines. And in that moment, 
I felt like I wasn't supposed to be there. I felt I wasn't from (laughs) Ann Arbor or I wasn't, I felt like a foreigner in my own college town and in my own country. And that's not a unique experience to that date party. That has been something that I've dealt with a lot. Something that was really nice for me was that I have another friend in Greek life. She's not Filipino, but she's Korean and she was raised in a majority white town, same as me. And I started telling her that story. And immediately when I told her that he asked me where I was from, she got it immediately. And I realized that that's really important to me, actually, having people that understand immediately without me having to explain why it's hurtful. And I'm lucky enough to have friends surrounding me who will listen, even if they haven't had the same experience, to why something's hurtful. And then they can put themselves in my shoes and understand And I feel so grateful for that. At the same time, I felt almost like a huge exhale when I didn't even have to explain to her why it was something that I've remembered for a while. Absolutely. That makes so much sense. The next question I kind of have for that, though, is like, what kept you in Greek life, having felt that way and having sort of people from the inside question, who's supposed to be in Greek life or what kept you in it? Or maybe it didn't. Yeah, I still am in Greek life. I have a great group of friends who I really feel comfortable with that I met through Greek life. I'm trying to think even what kept me. I think sadly that the experience of being othered, I didn't really tie it necessarily to Greek life because I've had it outside of Greek life as well. So I didn't feel like, I felt like even if I wasn't in Greek life, I could potentially also feel like I don't belong. And this is something that a lot of half white, half Asian or half white, half person of color experience is that they feel like they kind of don't belong in either category. And so I joined the Filipino American Student Association and I was so excited about it at first because I went and I was like, everybody looks like me a bit. (laughs) And then it kind of, the excitement faded a bit because we were asked to share our favorite Filipino foods and I didn't know what to say. And I felt like I was straddling two different identities, both of which I didn't fully belong in. At the same time as this has been, has felt isolating at times and it has felt like there is nobody who understands specifically at times. At the same time, I wouldn't trade any of my background or my experience for the world because when you aren't clinging to a certain identity, you have this scary but really open freedom to be whatever and to be anything, really. So the same things that I didn't like about not feeling like I belonged in either place, which were feeling uncomfortable, feeling lost, are the same things that have allowed me to really grow into the person I am and have allowed me to define things for myself. I always say that if I was born into, for example, a white male's body, I would feel so attached to my identity as a white male because it's comfortable. And I think that the discomfort that has caused pain growing up, feeling like I don't belong, is the same thing that has helped me become as open and as knowledgeable as I am today. Yeah, I love that. And I know we talk about this with other students too, about not feeling 
whatever identity enough when there's multiple groups you can be a part of. Actually, I'm wondering now, have you, you talked about this one other friend in Greek life who was able to relate to that, but I, I am curious just on campus in general, where have you found community in that too, maybe even beyond the Filipino Student Association? So I started taking classes with the Asian Pacific Islander Studies Department. And in the beginning of my college career, I kind of felt like that didn't apply to me. And I say that because I came from Scarsdale. It's a majority white town. And I had no, we had no Asian studies in our high school or our middle school or anything. And I didn't really have so much of the background from my family members either. So coming into college, somebody else could say, why wouldn't you immediately take a class in Asian Pacific Islander studies? But to me, I was thinking, why would I? So for me, discovering those classes and then being in the classes and having professors kind of joke about the where are you from question was so eye-opening to me because I didn't know that I could find community in my courses and feel so connected to professors on the basis of our experiences before. Yeah, I think that's really important for folks who are listening to hear too, that there's multiple places to sort of find commonality there. I want to like loop back to the safe risk taking because I know we started there and then we sort of went off on a tangent, which is great. But so can you talk a little bit more about that? Because that sounds like that's part of your identity now too. Yeah, it definitely is. So I this year had a class called Positive Psychology with Professor Nansu Park. She's amazing. And one of her assignments was to try one thing each month of the semester that challenged you. So at first it was just new things like going to the farm stand at Michigan or going to the UMA. And then I kind of got addicted to it (laughs) because I really liked it. And so some other things I did was at the farm stand, I got information on how to volunteer at the farm. And that's all the way on North Campus, which is really scary because (laughs) it's not like I could just walk home if I want to leave. So I volunteered at the farm one week. I went alone and I felt great after. I felt so nervous at first. My friends dropped me off and I said, are you sure you don't want to come with me? And then they said, no, but we could pick you up after. And I was so nervous and I just walked in there and it was a huge opportunity, I would say, because none of those people knew me. I could be as friendly or as unfriendly or as confident as I wanted. And so same thing, relating to my identity, the same things that make you uncomfortable in risk-taking situations are the things that provide you with this opportunity to become whatever. So as much as being comfortable and being tied to either a certain identity or a certain routine is feels really safe, there are a lot of limitations to that type of thing. So I was a farm volunteer and I continued to do that for multiple weeks, which was really awesome. I grew my own microgreens and then I was able to eat them and all my roommates really loved that. <laughs> and then I took a bachata and kazumba class through Mesa for Black History Month. And in that circumstance, I was again nervous because your brain tells you, okay, yeah, you did something hard by going to the farm, but this is totally different, even though it's not. And I think to anybody 
hoping to cultivate the skill of bravery, I would say, try to think of the connections between the last scary experience you had and this scary experience. And so I walked into the dance class and I went up to the instructors and I said to them, I'm really nervous. (laughs) And they said, don't worry, it's just stepping and dancing. And I said, okay. And just telling them and saying out loud, I'm really nervous was all I needed. And I kind of knew it was all I needed. I knew that I didn't need them to give me a hug or reassure me in that way. I knew I just needed to say out loud to somebody in the room that I was feeling nervous. And I felt better after that. And leaving the dance class, I felt like I was unstoppable because I didn't think I could do it at first. And then I did it. And then it really expanded my what I felt I was capable of. And that's something that I recommend to anybody who is looking to try new things is instead of thinking about it as oh, I have to try new things because it's good for me. Think about how much you would want to feel unstoppable or how much you would want to feel confident because that's just what it does for you. It it expands how much you're able to do and how comfortable you're able to feel. So if you could get over the momentary resistance, then you have all of these great rewards on the other side. There's so much here. I love so much of this. Um, there is approach to therapy called strategic therapy. And part of that is for folks, for example, that have stage fright or feel anxious speaking in class, we have them announce it. Just say that, just like you did, right? Like say, I'm feeling nervous and how much that can do for that anxiety. But also just, I really appreciate you highlighting sort of cultivating sense of mastery, right? It can really snowball and you're learning these new skills, exploring new things, figuring out what works, what doesn't work for you. And there is this theme of suspending preconceived notions, right? I mean, on one hand, certainly we would want that for folks that are prejudging you based on what you look like and so on and so forth, but also your own preconceived notions about what certain experiences may or may not be. And I love that that is sort of weaving throughout your story and sort of you're still very young, but so much identity development in these college years, it sounds like, yes? Yes, I definitely agree. And what you said reminded me of this book that I've read called The Four Agreements. I don't know if you've heard of it, but part of it the idea is that when we're really young, we make agreements to things like certain beliefs that it's rude if you do this or you shouldn't do that or something like that because we're young and that's what we learn. But the longer you have an agreement or a belief, the harder it is to get rid of it and the more you have to work against it. So sometimes I think when I'm in these situations, I like to think of the anxiety is coming from an agreement I had and thinking of how I'm allowed to no longer agree with that belief anymore. And I definitely recommend that book to people. Yeah, I love that book. I actually want to read that again. But as Lalona was saying, you're sort of challenging these preconceived ideas of what these experiences or risks are like. I also really think What I'm hearing you say, too, is like when you more identified, again, as a shy person, you might have said, oh, I don't do stuff like that. I'm shy. It would boundary yourself in a way that you're also sort of opening yourself up to what does that mean to try new things? So you said it totally makes sense why you said something like I got addicted to it because there is something about it's like it promotes your growth. And so I'm wondering they were assignments in a class. How are you kind of continuing to embody that now? That's a great question. I think that the class has been 
so important because we should have more classes that require us to go out into the world and practice something, which is something that Janet's class does as well. And it helps me form a habit. And at first, there's a lot of resistance, and then it just gets lower and lower. And now I'm going to be moving to New York City next year. The city is going to be my oyster in ways. And I want to try to find at least one or two experiences each week that are new and fun and scary a bit. I have written down in my planner, if you have any ideas for me, I have find new ways to fail safely because I just think it's comfortable to not try to work against the ideas that you already have, but it's not so fruitful necessarily. There's a lot of things that you can get out of, again, the discomfort of working against your already established inertia. Yeah. And I think there's certain things you can try, right, that are outside of your comfort zone, like that class. I guess you could have technically failed at it, but you also had never really done it before. I think next level up is doing something that you think you're supposed to be good at, or you used to be really good at. And then you have to sort of live with the, oh, I'm not actually as good as I thought. That kind of thing could be even more sort of like crushed your ego. Because sometimes ego gets in this too. Who am I and what am I capable of? Yeah, totally. I like that idea of doing something that you feel you're supposed to be good at or that you used to be good at. I love that. I think ego does play a big role in this because I think at my lowest, most lost points are the points where I have most opportunity and most openness. And I don't think it's coincidence. And I think that sometimes I might feel really good. And maybe that's because I'm attached to a part of my identity that I really like, but it doesn't necessarily allow me so much room to grow. So I do think ego does have a part in it because for example, the thing that kind of made me feel lost in this instance was the pandemic kind of broke all of the structure down for me. And so for people trying to learn how to try new things, I think that first you might have to break down a few structures before you go and try new things. And the pandemic did that for me, it totally shook everything up. And I was super distraught. I was super upset. But after you get through those emotions, there's a lot of stuff on the other side. Well, as we're starting to wrap up, like you said, a week from graduating, there's lots of students listening. What are some last words or other things you would want to hear if you were a first year student again? I love that question. I love asking other people that question, actually. I don't know my answer off the top of my head. I would tell students to get become skilled at knowing what is anxiety and what is what is I'm trying to word this correctly what is helpful anxiety and what is anxiety that you don't really need to listen to that much because that can change your whole life in my opinion I think that a lot of times anxiety does keep us safe. It tells us, oh, I think I'm in a sketchy place that I should be with a friend and I'm not or something like that. You feel anxiety because maybe you are unsafe. Or sometimes you get the same exact feeling right before you're about to give a presentation and it's not going to hurt you physically. It's not going to really have any repercussions. So if you can distinguish 
if you can feel a feeling of anxiety and really sit with it for long enough to see if it's helpful or if it's not helpful, then you can decide and a lot of barriers will be broken down for you. Alona, is there like a actual practice of that? Of course there is, but the one simple and short mantra that comes to my mind, just to sum that up, is feel the fear, do it anyways. And that is ultimately the way through anxiety and fear, and really it opens all kinds of doors. So I really appreciate you reminding us of that. I actually love that you said that because I have a post-it on my wall that says, do it scared. (laughs) So that's perfect. That's interesting. I haven't heard that one. I've heard do one thing every day that makes you feel scared, but do it scared is interesting too. So, I mean, it sounds like you've really kind of redefined yourself over the four years you've been in college or maybe more. I hate making the assumption about the four years in college because that's not everybody's experience. But I guess my last question, I know I'm supposed to be wrapping this up, is again, shyness positive. And I wonder if you do still see a thread of that in you that is still helpful. You're not like a total 180 new person. Where does that still benefit you? I think I agree that everything shyness is beneficial as well. I think that in some ways being shy kind of reminds me who I used to be and I still experience feeling shy. And it just reminds me that the balance of how much is a bit different now. And it is helpful. And no, I'm not, even though I talked a bunch about the new things I tried, I'm not waking up at 5am every day and trying a new thing and learning a new skill. It's not like that. It's just that it's almost, I like to describe it as a metamorphosis. So you're still kind of the same being, but there are many things that are different about you. And again, to the advice for college students is you don't have to be tied to any trait that you don't like about yourself, anything that you don't feel like is helpful for you, whether that's either being shy or maybe being too overconfident or something like that, either one. If you don't like it, I think that college is the great breaker of the structure that you might need to take the leap and be the person that you want. And I love that has also showed up in Again, your identity development and really not letting folks put you in any particular box. I mean, you have multiple identities and you have sort of molded that in your own development. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not just this or I'm not just that. It's so multifaceted. Yes, completely. I think there's a point where you can be so upset about something and then you realize, okay, or I could just make it work for me. (laughs) I think people go through moments of, I don't know what else to do. I've been complaining about this or I've been torn up about this for so long and perhaps it could be beneficial to me in a way. And that's, I truly believe that. I think that everything can have a positive side to it. And so, yeah, if anybody has any part of themselves that they feel like is the worst thing ever, perhaps try to see if there's any part of it that they can leverage. Well, thanks so much for being with us today, Mel. Sometimes students want to reach out. Do you have like Insta or something where students could reach out if they want? Do people usually provide their email or anything? Sometimes. Yeah, you don't have to provide contact, but if you'd like, it can be your social handle, email or nothing. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah, people can email me at mselber at umich.edu or... You can DM me on Instagram, Mel Selber. Well, thanks so much again. Thank you so much. 
Good luck and congratulations on graduating. Thank you so much. I love this. And good luck in New York City. Okay, thanks so much. Chat to y'all next time. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review us on your favorite pod platform. Share with your friends if this is making you think about and participate in college differently. We want to hear from you. Connect with us on Instagram and let us know how it's going. This podcast is not professional advice or replacement for therapy. If you need professional advice, you should find it with professionals in your area, such as your primary care physician or therapist.